Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Kules. Welcome to Barca Talk. I'm your host, Gabriel Quiroga, here in the Spanish capital. In today's episode, friend of the show, Ben Hayward, joins me as we discuss all the latest with FC Barcelona and La Liga. Before we get into the episode, I want to talk about Magic Mine, our newest sponsor. It's the world's first productivity drink. If you're looking for a great way to keep your energy steady throughout the day, Magic Mind is a great way to help achieve that. With Magic Mind, you can ditch that third or fourth or fifth cup of coffee and stay alert and focused throughout the day. A great way to take Magic Mind is in the morning as part of your routine. He also knows that it tastes great and also takes it before he has to be super productive as he's been noticing those benefits. Magic Mind is full of natural ingredients such as Bacopa Manari, which is a neurotropic that improves your attention span, your ability to process and learn new information. The Magic Mind team created a super offer for me to share with you Kules. Get three months of the, for the price of two, Get three months for the price of two with a quarterly subscription using the code BarsaTalk20. Get your first batch at magicmind.com slash BarsaTalk and redeem the discount code BarsaTalk20. Crush your 2024 New Year resolutions fully focused. The link is in the show notes. So as I mentioned to the top of the show, friend of the show, Ben Hayward joins me. Ben, long time no see. How are you doing? Hi, Gabrielle. Yeah, good to see you. I'm good, thanks. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. We got together last weekend, I believe, in Madrid when you were here, mm-hmm. caught up. And uh, yeah, so that was good to do. I thought it would be a good opportunity to have you back on the show. As I always enjoy your insight, especially being outside the Spanish bubble and just kind of get your insights of FC Barcelona and La Liga. So let's dive into it. You you know, when we did meet up, you went to uh, the FC Barcelona match where Xavi did announce that he was going to leave at the end of the season. You know, give me kind of your first initial thoughts about Xavi's manager your experience this past year and also do you think he should stay till the end of the season yeah well you know first of all gabriel you know i've watched a lot of barcelona over the years this was my first time watching barca at monjuic so i was uh looking forward to that experience and just uh you know just to to see what it was like the atmosphere uh and everything obviously it was a difficult time as well for the team but you know what a crazy match that was you know (laughs) Barca go 2-0 down and then they they, they come back, they, they, they go 3-2 up and then you think, okay, well, they've turned it around now, they're going to win. Then Villarreal draw, make it level 3-3 and then, you know, added time, there was that penalty incident. Um, you know, Barca thought they'd won a penalty, it was taken away uh, by VAR and then Villarreal go and score those, those two goals right at the end. It was a crazy game 
to go to and um an interesting one as well obviously uh, you know what happened afterwards with Xavi announcing his uh, his intention to to step down at, at the end of the season it doesn't really surprise me because you know he'd obviously spoken in recent weeks about how if Barca didn't win a trophy then you know he would step down at the end of the season anyway and I guess winning a trophy now was starting to look more and more difficult my first night in Spain I watched Barca on TV against Athletic when they got knocked out of the cup and uh, you know they're just uh, they've been conceding big haven't they in these big games you know four goals against Athletic four against Girona four against Madrid five against Villarreal uh, and things are, are coming to a head and you know Xavi's spoken in the past about how Barca is such a difficult club uh, to coach because you know you have to you have to win you have to uh, win convincingly you have to have the possession you have to have the playing style you have to have the guys from La Masia and um, yeah I think his his tenure has been overall good uh, I don't think um, it's a surprise that he's stepping down the pressure is just unbelievable now at this point and um I do think, uh, you know, he has to be commended for taking over in a very, very difficult time. Um, you know, and ultimately, you know, he turned it around and, and they won La Liga um, in that, um, you know, not his first season, but last, his first four season last season. <clears throat> this year, obviously, it's been more difficult. Uh, I do think uh, playing at Montjuic makes things harder. Um, and I know we, you know, we spoke about some of these things, uh, playing without Busquets. You know, a guy who's been there, you know, since 2008 as part of that midfield. Uh, I, th I think there are, there are factors as well. Obviously, results have still been disappointing. And uh, ultimately, it, it takes some some pressure off. And, you know, maybe he's hoping for a similar kind of reaction to, to when Luis Enrique announced he was stepping down. And then they had that big comeback against uh, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, you know, and it ended the season winning the winning the cup um who knows uh you know they're not that far away in la liga um i saw an interesting stat the other day um a couple of days ago actually i think it was in mundo deportivo comparing uh, xavi and ancelotti the numbers because uh since xavi took over they've both obviously overseen i think it's 83 games in la liga and xavi's won 185 points and Carlos won 183. So overall, you know, I think his record is decent. It stands up. But obviously, you know, uh, this season it, 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 there's been a dip and uh, now it's, it's going to be difficult for them to win a trophy. As for for what comes next, oh, you asked about um, should he stay until the end of the season? I think absolutely yeah. yes. I think he deserves that. I don't think changing now uh, would be helpful. You know, we saw it with Valverde. Um, sacked in the middle of the season, then Setien came in. Uh, you know, it was chaos, and the season didn't end well. They didn't win a trophy, and there were all sorts of other problems as well. So I think, in terms of stability, um, yeah, you know, keep Xavi. And I think, uh, given the, the the figure that he is, the you know what he represents at Barcelona, he deserves to stay until the end of the season. And I think he also deserves for us to look at you know, what else is happening at the club? You know, these are far from ideal circumstances for any coach. So, uh, yeah, I'd definitely give him to the end of the season. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I You know, 
the stat that you just brought up is is very interesting, right? Because of the total points, you know, on paper, that sounds awesome. But for whatever reason this season, you know, um, the team just looks stuck in mud, you know, from performances, like all the goals you said that they've allowed. I think most importantly, I think the thing as a Kool-Aid watching the match is just the level of concentration within the first two minutes of the match, where it just seems all these teams are just going after them and they've been conceding a lot of early goals. And again, there's a lot of little micro things I've been looking at, you know, with Xavi is, you know, as a coach that he could tighten up and it just hasn't been, you know, it hasn't seen improvement from that. And I think that's what, you know, especially from our WhatsApp group here in our Barca talk that we've been clamoring for. We just want to see some, you know, some minor changes there to see that there's adjustments coming in and it just doesn't seem like that's been happening as much this season. Um, you know, my whole thing with with having him stay, you know, he, you know, in the press conference, he, he was just claiming a lot of, you know, that there needs to be a big change of uh, dynamic change, dynamic change. And so if you're going to make a dynamic change to me to keep the manager there, especially how important it is to get the fourth place uh, to finish top four, I think, I don't know, it just it sends a mixed message to me because like you said, they're only eight points out right now, but it just feels like it's 18. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. And uh, you know, I understand. And certainly uh, obviously those numbers I mentioned, it was that the, there needs to be context behind any yeah, 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 for stats sure. like that. And of course, when, when Chavi took over, there was that period where they were flying and they were miles behind Madrid. So Madrid probably, you know, took their foot off the gas a little bit. Sure. Also, you know, they didn't catch up, but they closed the gap a little bit. And then obviously last season, they won La Liga by, La Liga by quite a margin. So it's, you know, it's this season where where the, the, the numbers have, have closed together. And like you say, defensively, it hasn't been good enough. The way they're starting games, um, you know, hasn't been good enough. Players off form, some of that, has to be down to the coach as well, you would think. Um, and so, yeah, definitely the concentration. Uh, and, you you know, uh, a lot of has been written, so many different takes about Xavi since uh, he announced his decisions to step down. A lot of people saying that, you know, really unfair on him. But I think there would be heat on any coach, wouldn't there? Receiving, you know, conceding so many goals, four goals, four goals, four goals, five goals. Any coach would would be under pressure. It doesn't matter who they are, even a club legend. So, um, you know, I, I don't think he's been treated really any differently to, to anybody else. Uh, and so um, the thing is, if you make the change now, who do you bring in? Because, you know, yeah, I, I know, I know it's difficult know. in the middle of the season to find the right guy and then to bring about a change. Obviously, uh, Bayern did it last season with, um, with Tuchel and it almost backfired on them and they won, sure. they won the Bundesliga in the end, but only just, and, yeah. you know, and, and that's Bayern, you know, they'd won it for the previous 10 seasons. So I don't know. I, I think it's the right call. Um, suddenly a couple of wins and actually things don't look as bad as they were because sure. since that Villarreal game, you know, Barca have had a couple of wins. They're up to third now and the gap is not, not huge after Real Madrid and Girona both drew at the weekend. And now, obviously, Real Madrid and Girona playing this weekend. So there's a chance to close in a couple more points. And then suddenly you think, well, things aren't so bad after all. Um, but certainly there needs to be improvements. So I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm always thinking and comparing with American sports and FC Barcelona, just like 
the differences and, and so forth. And, you know, I think another thing too, is maybe with Xavi's coaching staff, right? Like, you know, in the, in the U S essentially, like when the coach is getting pressured, he will upgrade an assistant or try to find an assistant before, I mean, trying to, you know, turn every rock before, uh, he ultimately gets sacked essentially. And I don't know if there's something to maybe his plantilla, if there was something just missing because, you know, I, be, you know, I believe Xavi is a good man manager. I think he has obviously the club and the players' best interests in heart, but maybe he just didn't have the qualified assistance behind him maybe to help tactically and maybe um, training-wise because we are seeing a lot of injuries, muscle injuries with players. Do you think there's something to that, or is that just not a football thing and we just can't adapt to that type of style of, of you know moving assistance in the middle of the season? Yeah, I, I think potentially that's that's interesting and that could be something for him to look at. I also think that with Xavi, he's uh, very stubborn and he's very much uh, you know set on one way of playing. And I think that that way of playing obviously is you know is the Barca way, and, and that, that, that's how everybody probably wants Barca to play. But if you haven't quite got the players, yeah, you know, you you're talking about you know, going up against Real Madrid and they've gone out and signed probably the four best young midfielders in the world over the last kind of couple of years in, you know, Germany, um, Camavinga, you know, Bellingham. It's, it's just incredible the young talent they've got. And Barca squad is good, but it's not quite up to that level. So I must, I wonder if, if right now with, with players being a little bit off form, uh, with the squad balance not being quite right, um, if you need a coach who's a bit more flexible to be able to get the best out of this team. And that's possibly the situation. I mean, this past weekend, he puts Christensen in the pivot. And I think it's something that we've been clamoring just to have some sort of change, right? Because I think we've been talking, uh, personally, I want to see Kunde and Orahu be the center backs. Um, I want to see Christensen come and rotate a little bit with them. But I think ultimately Kunde and Orahu are the most talented and the youngest, the fastest, the most athletic. So I think you go with those guys. And it's kind of funny because just doing that one kind of movement, just you saw Gundogan's one of his best matches of the season. You saw Lewandowski score. So it kind of just puts everyone under pressure. So that to me is always kind of like, did he find that by accident or is it just because of the lack of depth on the wings? That's the kind of change. And so those are the kind of questions I have. It's like, why didn't he do this kind of move earlier knowing that he loves using Christensen? Like he loves Christensen. I get that. But I also think if you're going to try to tinker with the center backs and the and the right backs and stuff, I, I always feel being the strongest up the middle, you know, and I think that's one of our one of the Achilles heel for Barcelona this season. So, you know, again, I, as I've been kind of just saying in the past couple of weeks, I think this is the time to get a little weird with some of the lineups because we, we've seen so much inconsistency from the previous months that I think you can tinker this way. And now it's kind of funny. What if this this lineup now with Christensen now in the pivot just pushes everyone into better position all of a sudden they can get some more points? It's just it's kind of interesting that it's taken till February for us to or him to kind of look at this type of formation and player insertion. No, you're right. And that's and that's interesting and that's exactly the kind of thing that he needs to be doing with in this situation. If you look back at um you know Talking about assistants, you know, Pep had Tito, who was yeah. an assistant and who was, um, you know, um, reportedly responsible for coming up a lot of the great tactical tactical ideas that that uh, 
that came about in that team, you know, you know playing Messi as a false nine. Yeah. Um, if you look at that team, all right, you know, it's easy to say now that, that it was a great team that had great players and they did, but, you know, there were a lot of different uh, interesting tactical solutions as well. I mean, Mascherano was, um, was a central midf- defensive midfielder when he was signed by uh, Barcelona, you know, reconverted into a centre-back and became one of the best in the world. You had um, Busquets uh, played in defence at times. You had, uh, I remember Toure playing as a defender. Uh-huh. I remember, you know, Fabregas playing as a false nine. All these players were, were moved around, um, you know, because they're of injuries, of suspensions, whatever, uh, competitions yeah different competitions different needs and yeah. so um you need to be able to do that and i think you're right in terms of chavi and his assistant if you have assistant an assistant who challenges you um and this is something interesting uh, i read about postikoglu by the way at spurs and i found this very interesting every club that he goes to he takes a different he employs a different team of assistants uh because he wants to keep challenging himself uh from role to role and I found that re- really interesting. You know, he doesn't want to, to be in his comfort zone at all. Sure. He wants people around him who've got new ideas, fresh ideas. Um, and so I think that's definitely a valid point about Xavi. And so, yeah, you know, it's, it's I don't know. It's still yeah. early in his coaching career. I think a lot of people expected another Guardiola, but then he hasn't quite got the team that, that, that yeah. So, yeah, I will see. No, I mean, it's, it's always an interesting... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always an interesting thing because you, you put yourself in those type of shoes. And of course, you have to be stubborn, right? Because you have your own philosophy, your own way of want to do it. And you're kind of, st- but at the same time, like you said, I think it's also good to have assistants there that have not only had experience, but also like when I look, if I were to be the manager, let's say if I were playing manager, I would look at someone that's more defensive specialist, you know, uh, more of maybe, um, you know, special teams type of thing for free kicks and that type of thing. And then obviously, with the training staff, I think the training staff can be put under scrutiny as well, because with all the different muscle injuries and also the idea that we see that the team is not physically, I mean, like when we saw um, against uh, recent matches where they just completely depleted at the end of the matches, like to me, that's, that's, that screams something that's missing or disconnect from the training staff. And so with all these things, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Xavi's next um, coaching opportunity, but I mean, he was the man for the moment he helped us not only that but also he used his own money to get out of that contract before i mean that's something we have to also keep in mind and also like he bridged the gap you know to he, help he us. did win the lottery though when he was yeah yeah. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know i know i know i know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so let me ask you this so you know obviously there's a lot of rumors happening in in, in twitter land and football land for the next manager um, you know, I told you my personal favorite, if I had to pick is Tiago Mota, cause I just think he ticks a lot of the boxes. Obviously there's been a lot of speculation with flick as, you know, a German or Tuchel coming in. I would love a German also to come in to kind of just shake the foundation of Barcelona, because I think it needs a shakening there of, of some sorts, but ultimately Ben, I really think that it's just going to be Rafa Marquez. I think he's going to be promoted and they're just going to find a Barca B coach. Cause I think that is the easiest thing to do and the cheapest solution. Yeah, but I don't know. Um, yeah, nothing against, <laughs> nothing against Rafa Marquez. I mean, he was a great, great player, I'm sure. I know. A smart guy and, 
you know he's doing he's doing a good job at, at Barcelona. But is it, is it the same thing with that we just had with Xavi? You know what I'm saying? Like that. It's it, kind exactly. of exactly. Is it the know? same thing? You know. So um, is it the time for that? I don't know. I mean, uh, traditionally those coaches have worked at, at Barcelona. Sure. We're with Pep and with Luis Enrique and and obviously now Xavi to to an extent. But if you're going to give the job to Rafa Marquez, why not just keep Xavi? I, yeah, I mean, you know, and obviously he's—it's his decision to leave, um, and and I feel that actually, if things didn't go well for the rest of the season, he would probably have lost his job anyway. Yeah, and so um, yeah, you have to make that change. Thiago Motta is an interesting one. Uh, I, I would agree with you that that's exactly the kind of profile that Barca should be looking at—a new, um, young coach with fresh ideas. Um, Somebody who's, you know, tactically uh, really smart and shrewd. And obviously with a Barca background as well, which is... Yeah. Uh, I found it a little bit worrying looking at Deco's quotes this week saying that... It, Me too. ...followed what Yeah, one of our patrons brought up that they are very close friends and maybe he's just saying that to keep it close to the vest. But at the same time, I don't know... You know, when I watched the video of the interview, there's a couple of things that puzzled me about Deco, right? Like he just looked like he rolled out of bed. The comments weren't really that strong comments. And, you know, you're just trying to give a perception. I know maybe he's, you know, behind the scenes working and stuff. But to me, you know, when I look at the comparison of him and Alemani, for example, Alemani was always in a suit, was professional. Look, he to me, he always gave up that vibe of like, yeah, that guy, you know, and I understand suit and jeans. I, I understand that. But the interview from Deco just kind of worried me, like saying that quote, uh, the Rafa Marquez quote that he said that he's, you know, obviously he's able to watch him every day and so forth. I don't know, man. I'm I'm still concerned about Deco as a, as a sporting director too, because also with the Mendez connection, I just feel like maybe the next manager is going to have a Mendez connection, so it benefits everyone and Laporta. And so I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this. But let me ask you this: if you if you had to, let's say, if you just had to pick a manager from the outside that you would think would be a great fit, is Tiago Malta your your pick, or do you have someone else in mind? I mean, I, I think that that's possibly the kind of coach that the bus should be looking at. I think, um, given where he's working right now, no offense to Bologna, great sure, well, sure. But, um, Limited resources and using players to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's in theory setting him up quite nicely. Sure. But it's, also, it's also like, you know, um, it's also the kind of club where he would probably be interested in taking over a, a Barcelona because despite all of their problems, you know, it's still one of the biggest clubs in the world. Right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I can understand why some managers might not want to come at this point in time, but somebody up and coming like Thiago Motta, who has a lot to prove, you know, uh, and to really implement, a, a, you know, a, a playing style uh, to get this team firing and to make a name for himself. I mean, I don't think it's too much to get 5% more out of these players. Like it's not, you're not asking, you know, you're not asking to, to get career years out of each player. You're just asking for a 5% boost, you know, I mean, really. And all of a sudden it's a different, uh, you're talking about, you know, better defense, better goal output and so forth. All right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, again, uh, all the rumors are, are bustling. I mean, I would personally, I would love to see flick if, if we can do it, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. There are a strong links with, with Flick and a mm. lot of fans seem to be keen on that happening. And I don't know if that's because, you know, a lot of Barca fans remember the, 
the, the treble year I'm on the treble and obviously yeah the, yeah. yeah sorry the, it's okay the, it's okay where where no. Coutinho scored that's all you have to say <laughs> just I, I I was I, I watched that game in Barcelona in a in a bar and I just remember the the gasps when the the, the goals were flying in the, the like the sixth and the seventh it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. audible shock yeah. around the room because Barcelona were competitive at the beginning yeah of that yeah. Match. yeah 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 it was yeah. it was disastrous and um, yeah I don't but I'm not sure about Flick I don't you know that was obviously that was a great achievement winning that that treble but. See, things didn't go well with Germany, did they? And yeah, I think if you're going down the German route, the best, the best, best coach is still Nagelsmann. Uh, but um, I don't know who could. Yeah. I think is, you know, he'll come in for a year or a year and a half. He'll probably do quite well, and then you know he'll fall out with the board, and then he'll be gone. Uh, I'm not sure that would be good. Yeah, and so um, I'm really I, not sure. I, but I think that's the other thing too is that you know the. The idea is, you know, the manager that comes in not only has to, you know, deal with the players, the style, the fans, all that stuff, but it's also another aspect of the board, you know, the constant barrage of dealing with the board, you know, especially with everyone having basically political agendas, leaking stuff. Like, that's just another aspect of this job that is very stressful that ages every manager. And also, like, think, I mean, no manager has been able to last longer than four years, you know? I mean, it's just such such stress i i hear you think, yeah i mean you know it's like my card lasted for five yeah and, um is it five yeah and the last two were not good at all yeah, in fact, yeah. that tenure now wouldn't wouldn't last so long because correct especially the social media pressure and so forth i mean that's the, he would have been gone yeah, yeah things yeah. have intensified things are more difficult i mean chavi was asked if um you know, if he saw himself as being like the Ferguson of of Barca, it just it would not happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ferguson, even Ferguson, obviously was a great, great manager. Who, by the way, is another one who always worked with with um, great assistants, and he was more of a much more of a manager than than a coach. But sure. you know, despite all of his success, you know, in twenty six years he won two Champions Leagues, mm-hmm. um, and he you know went for periods of several seasons without winning even the league yeah and you just you can't do that at Barca yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know it, it it's untenable it doesn't happen look at Klopp at Liverpool he's being talked about as one of their greatest managers of all time and don't get me wrong he is but he's won the Premier League once yeah like eight years so yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And, you know, the thing about the Reichardt era as being the beacon of longevity in Barca's history is pretty crazy. You know, it's pretty, it is, I mean, obviously he had the success early on, but like you said, those last two seasons, you know, and when, you know, you think about like Pep's era and it was only four years. And, but I, but at the end of the fourth year, he looked like he aged 50 years, you know, like he just, you could, it just does it to every manager. So he was exhausted by the end. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. difficult with this, with the media. Yeah, with, uh, you know, different agendas, and uh, you know, this board. One of the things that you you look at, it seems like Laporta's kind of getting all the, you know, all his friends together. Oh to, yeah, to work, and then and you know that's not necessarily the best thing, um, for the club. So I yeah I would worry about that. Obviously, Matteo Alemán was a great sporting director did so i think he did some really really good work deco yeah. as you say like 
really unproven and yeah. the links with Mendes is not something you'd really want. And then Marcus, your time will tell, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It feels like a, a bit of a, a friends reunited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's the thing. It's just nepotism at its highest, right? Like just friends mm-hmm. and friends of friends. So, yeah. Um, before I let you go, I just want to cu- touch on a couple of things, um, just on the La Liga refs, because, you know, I've, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, obviously some Madrid podcasts, some other Barcelona podcasts, and it's always interesting to hear their point of view on this. Personally, I think it's a La Liga problem. It's not just Barcelona and Madrid, quote unquote, getting screwed here. Uh, for example, like the Girona match with the expulsion of Michel, um, you're also seeing in Segunda just so many missed penalties and also just the lack of VAR intervention. You know, what can La Liga do to tighten that up? To I mean, now they've made VAR audios, you know, transparent. Still don't think that's enough because there's just no consistency of when VAR is allowed and when it's not. And it's just creating this polemica here. And again, I don't know if La Liga just loves the polemica so much that they're not really that interested in tightening up the La Liga ref situation. What do you think, uh, from your opinion, from outside? Yeah, I think it's difficult. And, uh, you know, it's not just in Spain either. You know, yeah. in England as well, there's been a lot of controversy with with VAR and and it goes on and on. But I, I do think the standard of, of refereeing in, in Spain in general is not good enough. Yeah, and we see it seemingly in in every match now. Obviously, there was yeah some strange decisions in the in the derby the other day, the Madrid derby. Yeah, yeah. You know, Girona, uh, as you know, you mentioned, and the, the disallowed goal um, at the weekend. Then uh, in the Copa del Rey um, between uh, Atletico Madrid and Athletic, um, you know, a couple of clear. Yeah, cards, you know, one of them wasn't even a yellow, and so yeah, that the problem for me is consistency. Yeah, and VAR is another ma- another matter. I think obviously VAR was brought in to try to improve things. Sure. And at this point, I really don't think. It has, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, because it, it's it's kind of you never know when it's going to intervene. That's the thing. Like it, you, this, if there was a consistent kind of protocol when it was going to come then we would expect it you know this type of thing like for example when you were talking about the madrid match you know the bellingham foul that's clear in the box that should be a penalty and then the referee is not even really looking at it. you know he's out of play and so mike i brought this up in the last episode is it just do you think the referees are just not quote unquote fast enough and the play is just too fast now do we need to have another referee to get another point of view or I don't know. Well, that's, like that's what that's what VAR is for, isn't it? Yeah, you I know. But you know, if watching you... it on a screen, who should be telling the referee? Maybe you should have a look at that. Or yeah, but again, you know, know, you know, like I don't know if it's just a political thing that they don't want to, you know, rub people the wrong way and say that decision's bad. Which to me is like I don't understand. You're working collaboration. If someone misses something and you see something, buzz. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't. My quick fix for this is to give each coach a challenge flag. And just let them challenge one thing because at least that kind of eliminates some of those uh, messy calls. Like with the Bellingham thing, if they believe that's a foul, they throw the flag, get it VAR, it probably gets a penalty. And if each coach gets one per game, I think that'll alleviate some of the the quality maybe. I don't know. I, I think that's a quick fix that everyone can be happy with immediately, you know, as opposed I, I to. Think, I think that's a good idea. Definitely. I think that would be interesting. I do think we need just in general more consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
the problem now is we're in the middle of the season. So yeah, I know, I know. It's not. It happened at the beginning of the season, but I remember. Sure. Um, I'm pretty sure it was. I think it was Chavi. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but um, the beginning of the season, uh, he said that we, we've had a uh, we had a meeting with all, all the referees, and you know, uh, they told us this and that, and then you know, on the first day we get a decision which is you know goes against exactly what they've been telling us, and that's. Just, just really um, typical of, of, of how things have gone. And, you know, consistency is so important. Obviously, it still comes down to human error as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's not one guy making the decision in it every match. It's, it's different people. So uh, they need to be clearer about the rules in general. Consistency. You go back to the, to that, that, the, the decision that Chavi was unhappy about uh, in the Villarreal game. And for me... It's not a penalty, okay? That 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 handball because he had his back turned uh, and his arms were, you know, in a in a natural position, you know, against his body. But those are often given as penalties, so uh, you know you can see why fans are raging because he, they'll say, "But in another match, that was given." And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, clearer um, rules about what is a handball and what isn't a handball. You know, there's still controversy with the offsides that needs to be improved. Yeah. Um, so much stuff that, that that needs to be sorted out, and and VAR that definitely needs to be much much better. Yeah, we'll see what happens this off season. If there's any type of changes, but again, it's just it's it's definitely a La Liga thing, not just the Barca and Madrid uh, controversy on that. So, uh, last thing I wanted to talk to you about is because I always find it interesting. You know, when I was in the states and I would see American players playing abroad, I would definitely follow their career a little bit stronger because. I thought it was fascinating because they were the outliers of Americans playing in the Premier League. Like, for example, Clint Dempsey, for example, when he played at Tottenham, uh, he used to be my favorite player because I was like, yeah, that guy's taking a chance to play, even though he's not playing consistently. And from the U.S. point of view, whenever, you know, we had World Cup qualifiers and stuff, he was always the man, you know, because he's playing abroad and playing in the highest leagues. So I wanted to get your kind of point of view on Bellingham because obviously Bellingham, first year in Madrid, just having a stellar career so far with Madrid scoring so many goals but I also think already that he has integrated himself in a way that no other English player has in that you know he's really integrated with the fans the media love him here um, his players love him he loves to practice not like Gareth Bale for example and so to me what has kind of been the UK perception of seeing Bellingham play at Madrid because you know I follow a lot of football videos on YouTube and TikTok and stuff. And they don't really talk about him from a UK perspective, being at one of the biggest clubs in the world, speaking a different language and being the star of the team. So I, I'm curious to kind of hear your perspective on this, just as like this type, you know, especially as an American that I used to just follow these Americans in the Premier League. Yeah. You know, uh, there's been a lot uh, about Bellingham in the press over here. Um, a lot of hype as well. And I think a lot of um, people hoping that he can kind of transfer that form uh, uh, to the national team, to, to the national team as yeah. well, getting into the Euros and maybe kind of get England over the line. We've been close, you know, to, to, to winning a, a trophy in the last so few years, but not being able to do it. Uh, yeah. You know, people are, are very impressed. And uh, I think the great thing about Bellingham is that, you know, you mentioned different language. I'm not sure how much he speaks, but you know, he has a go. You know, he after his first game, he he did a little message on, um, you know, Real Madrid's uh, sure. social media channels, 
saying Ala Madrid and you know just a little I can't remember what it was something like like Buen Partido or something like and then you know afterwards he posted a tweet saying sounded better in my head you know <laughs> it wasn't perfect when he means but he has a go and uh and I think uh, Jose Lu, who speaks yeah. English played at Newcastle says that it, you know he doesn't speak that much but he'll you know he'll try to to say a few things and um i think you know comparing specifically with gareth bale gareth bale was very shy sure an introvert really um obviously um when he played football he was he, he was different but he, he he was not an outgoing character and I, th- I think that really went against him whereas bellingham is the opposite he's very outgoing he's always smiling always laughing, uh, very, very popular in the dressing room, seemingly with everyone. Um, he and uh, uh, and Vinicius are good friends. They were like texting each other even before the move. Uh, I don't know what language they do that in. But, yeah, uh, that's, that's quite interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, everyone Emo- likes They just him. do it in emojis. <laughs> exactly. He's having a go. And, uh, you know, I just think he's been so smart as well in his career path. Yeah, I would uh, agree. You know, really well advised i guess his parents as well have helped him a lot in that respect um in going to dortmund first um you know if you want to pick the probably the best club in europe for you know, player development youth development this going sure. to be dortmund he went there um you know did really well and had that adaptation period at a club which is really helpful in that respect and then moved on to uh you know a, a European giant in yeah. Europe. and okay, he's still only twenty years old, but he's a twenty-year-old who's already done that and come with that experience and that development and that help. And I think that's just uh, that's been key in his um, settling in. And you know the goals, yeah, he's been fantastic. He's, he's a midfielder, but he's been been playing more as a really as a as a striker. You know, with yeah, the yeah. into the box. Um, but I, it was Simeone saying before the uh, the derby the other day, it's been so impressive because a player who does that, um, you know, making those late runs, is so difficult for the defenders to pick up. Uh, and he's really benefited from that and scored really all kinds of goals. He's, you know, he works hard defensively, tracks back. You know, he's got that athleticism um, and that desire. He, he seems like a humble guy. Yeah, you know. I mean, the thing is, he just seems so mature for his age. I think, like you, yeah. you pointed out, the Dortmund thing, I think, totally helps um, because then the change doesn't seem so drastic, right? I mean, you are going to European giant, but also just the understanding of how to adapt, right? Because he was at Dortmund for what three seasons or so, at least. You know? Yeah, exactly. And and so, uh, you know, trying to learn a new language and adapt to a culture, and then coming here, you can see that he has, um, like you said, he's just so popular with the team. Um, and like he just tries, I think that just goes a long way, and a lot of the fans can attach themselves to that. So, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm just curious because you know, especially you know, uh, like I told you, like Clint Dempsey, I always remember his career going through. Um, where was he first at Fulham, and then he Fulham, was at yeah, and then he was at Tottenham, and just watching him try to, you know, try to break the stereotype that Americans can't play football, you know, and you know how yeah, it is no, here, absolutely. you know, like. You know, here in Spain, a lot of people don't really think, uh, you know, the, you know, English players don't have the, that, you know, like the touch and the ability here, and in and, and kind of Bellingham's kind of breaking that barrier, you know. I think he's changing perceptions, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. In 
in that respect, you know, if you go, particularly as a, as a young player, if you move abroad and your first experience is Real Madrid, yeah. wow. I mean, yeah, yeah. or Barcelona, you know, yeah, yeah. it's, it's mind-blowing. The pressure that comes with that kind of move and, and uh, you know, obviously the, the, the language and everything, the adaptation all on top of that, and you're expected to adapt straight away. And so it's it's hard for a player, even who, even for a player who does speak the language. I remember Neymar's first season, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Barca, and it, it, you know, he had his moments, but it wasn't really until the second season where he really kind of came alive. And I remember a lot of people saying he should have gone somewhere else first. Like you know, if you look back to <laughs> to, to Ronaldo, uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo, to Romario, both of those played at PSV before they went to Barcelona. Sure. Uh, Rivaldo had a season at Deportivo, you know, yeah. and, and then took the big step to to join Barcelona and they were already adapted. And I think that was helpful. So definitely the, the, the move to Dortmund has done a lot of good for, um, for Bellingham. I mean, this is always, I mean, think about like how Vinicius, Rodrigo, these type of players, uh, Victor Roque, they come straight from their Brazilian clump to a monster giant c- crossing the sea, all the pressure, you know, new life. And then, you're set to perform right when you get into the game, you know? Well, remember how much Vinicius was not yeah, just yeah. criticized, not just criticized, but actually ridiculed at the beginning. Um, yeah, yeah. His shooting and he, uh, all right, it was wayward, but now look at the player he's become. And obviously he, he was, you know, 17, 18 yeah, yeah. Um, to, 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 for a player like that at that age to be treated the way he was, you know, it's not right really. But Vito Roque, by the way, um, has had a great start. A Barcelona looks like being a very exciting player for you guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my, you know, he's he's getting more playing time, and again, the, I think the most important thing is he's starting to get comfortable with his teammates and understanding the play. You know, where to go. Um, most importantly, too, you can just see that you know the willingness to 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 come in and just be an impactful player. I think that is the first thing you could try to do as a sub, and you you see those dangerous runs i mean he's he scored his goal and and hopefully that'll give him more confidence and maybe more players will give him a little bit more uh better passes as well because a lot of some some plays there that they didn't look for him you know at the beginning so we will see what happens um all right i think that'll do it for today ben i I appreciate your time as always um where can our listeners find you i know you have a sub stack and I know you're active online as well. Where can where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so I, I'm not so active on Twitter this, these days, but uh, <laughs> E.G. Hayward. It's X. It's X, not Twitter. X, sorry. X, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I've got Substack. I just post a lot of different things on there, sometimes about Barcelona, Madrid, La Liga, other times about different topics related to football. It's uh, benhayward.substack.com. And then, yeah, that's that's basically it. Yeah, and we'll put your Substack in our show notes. So, Ben, thanks again for joining me. I always enjoy our football chats. Hopefully, Thank we'll. Thank you, Gabriel. Absolute we'll, pleasure. Hope to meet up again in person soon to break things down. The summary of La Liga goes. So, we'll see you about that. So, thanks again for joining me. We'll talk soon. Speak to you soon. Bye. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 